I just love listening to Eddie's story and his heart, and he used the word longing there at the end, and just that longing that you sense from him that he is specifically called and destined to be born for this and for this moment where he's back in those neighborhoods and he's determined to plant a light for Christ in the midst of that moment. One of the things that he didn't share that's relevant to today is that they literally are not launching their church for another 10 months. So he has moved there, and he's doing all of that pre-work, but he is really in that gap. He is really in that moment where there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of hope, there's a lot of confidence, but it is not yet. And that is so much what the Christmas season is as well, isn't it? It's just that time consistently where we are anticipating something. We are anticipating the day. We are anticipating that Christmas itself will arrive. And that really comes into hyper-focus at this time of year. Now, there's nothing better, nothing better than being a kid, being a child at Christmas. I mean, I like being an adult at Christmas But some of you think back and you just love the fact when you're a kid that Christmas is coming. It's pretty much the highlight of the year, isn't it? Pretty much is the highlight of the year. Everything pointed to it. Now, some of you will remember back before there was Black Friday or before there was Cyber Monday, there was the Sears Christmas wish book right here, right? Come on. You're dating yourself if you're applauding right now. I mean, this, some of you are looking at that like, I don't get it. Oh, you should get it, all right? This is 600 pages of toy-riddled joy and ecstasy when it would arrive in the mail. It would begin the countdown to Christmas when the Sears Christmas wish book would show up on that day. And you'd begin, if you're a child of the 70s, that's when the countdown would really start. Just over the last few weeks, I was reading former Vice President Joe Biden's book where he talked about the loss of his son, Bo, a few years ago and his family and and all of that. And one of the things that he shared was from their childhood when when he was still a senator in, in Delaware. They would drive every Thanksgiving on Wednesday, late afternoon, evening, all the way from D.C. back to Delaware with his three kids in the back seat. And part of that tradition was they would go and they would spend Thanksgiving in a house together and they would do all of that. But the most important thing is when they would get in the car and they would get ready for that four-hour drive, that's when they would bring out the Sears Christmas wish book. And they would toss it, one for each child in the back seat, and they would spend the four hours going through those pages and circling. And so by the time they arrived for Thanksgiving, their Christmas wish list was actually formed. That is awesome, awesome stuff. But as a kid, it just seemed like Christmas would take forever to get here. And those last few days right before it would happen seemed to be the longest days of the year. And then as an adult, it all changes, right? The year screams by. You literally just put the tape on the box and put the fake tree away. And it feels like you're tearing the tape and putting the fake tree back up, trying to see which lights will work and not work. Trust me, they don't work. But you'll put it back up again. You're freaking out. Because someone reminds you when there's like one week before Christmas and you're panicking because it's coming too fast or your kids are freaking out because the time is going too slow. We have one of those chalkboards in our kitchen. We've had it for years where our kids would start that countdown, right? How many days till Christmas? And they'd erase it every year and they'd put 22 or 20 or 15 and they they would count down the years. And even as adults, when our kids come home, they still erase that and put that number up. Imagine if you had a little chalkboard sitting on the calendar as a countdown, but it didn't read like 22 days till Christmas, but it actually said 
400 years till Christmas. That's a lot of chalk. That's some serious waiting. That's some serious anticipating. Here's what I believe is true. That for most of us, the speed at which Christmas comes disguises the pace at which the first Christmas came. You hear me? The speed at which the, the, each Christmas seems to come at us disguises the pace that the first Christmas came. And today, as we kick off this series, Born for This, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. So if you want to find it on your crossing app or, or on your phone, that's where we're going to be because I want to talk about this pace thing. Because when we talk about born for this, we need to see what this actually was. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be unpacking that together. But before we get to shepherds and wise men and stars, we got to back up a little bit. Because there was a season of waiting and anticipating that took place. Now, you may already know this. But for many generations, there was always a group, or better called, a remnant of people, the Jewish people, the Israelites, who had waited every single day for the arrival of a Messiah. In a sense, they were waiting for Christmas. Now, God had promised a child, a person, the Messiah, who would be the savior of his people. His arrival had been predicted and it had served as a source of hope, especially for these people during times where they were oppressed. They were downtrodden. They would think someday deliverance is coming through a Messiah, through a person. Now their idea of what that would look like and when that would happen was a little bit different than God's. But they knew that this Messiah would free them from this oppression. They had been oppressed, as we read in the Old Testament, by Egypt, they had been oppressed by Babylon, by Persia, by Assyria. They had also been oppressed by their own rebellion and their own sin. And now they were oppressed by the Roman government, specifically by King Herod. And at this point, here's the problem. God had, God had seemed to be moving awful slow in the promise that he had been given. The, the countdown, the chalkboard seemed to just continue to count day after day after day after day. And also, God had largely, during this 400-some years, seemingly gone silent. They hadn't heard from God very often. The only thing they have is God's promise that they were wishing and hoping for. That was their wish book that they had. And there were people, this remnant, within the people of Israel, that when their alarm clock went off on their iPhone next to their bed in the morning, and they stumbled out for their first cup of coffee, their initial thought was, this could be the day. Maybe this is the day when the Messiah will come. But unlike the certainty of December 25th, for all of us, that Christmas eventually will arrive, whether we're ready for it or not, this went on for generation after generation, and generations would die off and die off, and what they were waiting for never happened, and now God's awful quiet, and now God seems to be away. There was no fulfillment of the promise. Even though they prayed and they waited, they were faithful, most of them. Now some, because God was just taking too long, they abandoned their faith. They did. As generations went by, some of them, they stopped looking for the Messiah. They got tired of waiting. They would say things like this, my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, they keep telling me this story all the time. They believe that God is going to show up, but I'm tapping out. I'm done. 
I mean, who in the world would devote their life to a story of a promise that's now a couple thousand years old? Now, some of you are sitting there today and you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, you are in that waiting zone. You are in that gap right now, today. And let's just be candid and frank. Sometimes faith right now is tough for you because God seems like he's awful silent. God doesn't seem like he's really showing up. And let me warn you, some of you in here are considering the claims of Christ. Like you may be watching online and you're just thinking about becoming a follower of Christ. You're not even sure you would define yourself as having stepped over the line of faith yet. I hope you do that. I hope you discover him and this amazing journey in following him. But let me warn you, at some point in your Christian experience, at some point as you are becoming a disciple of Jesus, at some point as you are following him, there will be a time, probably more than once, where God is going to go quiet. Where it's going to seem like he's inactive in your life. And you'll look around and you'll say, why am I even doing this? Okay, some of you are nodding at me and some of you are in denial. But we all have those moments. Like, why? Why am I even doing this? Maybe, maybe you fill in the blank this way. Maybe you would say this. I'm waiting for God to fill in the blank. And it isn't happening. Why am I even doing this? Right? I'm waiting for God to fill my bank account. And it isn't happening. I'm waiting for God to bring that attractive individual into my life. And it isn't happening. I'm waiting for God to give me that job I've been longing for. And it isn't happening. I'm waiting for God to heal me. And it isn't happening. Across this room today, you would fill in that blank in numerous ways. But at some point, that's the question that we are confronted with. You may even think, why am I still here? Why am I still attending? Why am I still showing up? Why am I serving? Why am I giving? Why am I being obedient to God? Why am I believing? Why am I continuing to live my life as if there's some promise yet unfulfilled, if there's some hope out there that God is going to step into my life? Why am I still doing that? At some point in all our lives, there may be a season or even years in our attempt to be faithful or good Christian people we look around and say, is this all just a waste of time? Where's all this going? If you ever thought that, you're not alone. If you ever asked that question, you're not alone. And here's what's great. The Christmas story is for you. That's what's awesome. See, because some of us are cynical about Christmas, right? We really are. Let's be, let's be, let's be honest. Like it comes around every year. Yeah, that's kind of how it works, Right? And every year we do all those Christmassy things and you kind of have that, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to do that. What if we change the narrative? Man, I think Christmas is awesome because guess what? Every 12 months, we don't just have to pull out some plastic tree and slap some lights on our house and get up at 530 in the morning like I did yesterday and buy candles at Bath and Body Works. <laughs> every 12 months, here's what happens. We get reminded we get reminded that God intersected our world. We get reminded that no matter what we're waiting for, no matter how the blank has not been filled in significantly in our perspective in our lives, that something incredible happened. And if that's enough, that should be the narrative that we live out. No matter what fills your stocking or gets put under your tree this year. So that's why the Christmas story is for you and I. I want to tell you something. The Christmas story, as we begin to read it, 
does not begin with Mary and Joseph. I know, it's shocking. There's actually a little bit of a prequel, and that's where we're going to be today in Luke chapter 1. It actually starts with Zechariah, a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who was Mary's cousin. And they were living in this waiting gap. They were gap dwellers, living between where they were and where they hoped to be. And we find their story in Luke's gospel, the first chapter. We're going to begin in verse 5. It says this um, to tell us about them. It says that they lived in the time of Herod, heard of him, king of Judea. And there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Here's what that means, plain and simple. They were church kids, right? They were pastors, sons, and daughters. They, they, they understood the promise. They understood what all of this was about, okay? They were used to it, and they were living their life in that way. Now, verse 6 says this. They were both righteous Okay, so they lived in a right way. That's what righteous means. They were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments, commandments and ordinance of the Lord, and blameless. But, verse 7, they had no child. Big deal. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced. I like that. They were both well advanced in years. That's what it says. It says they were righteous. It says they were walking in all the, the Lord's commandments. And if you've looked at the Old Testament, there's a lot there. And they were walking in them. They were, they were actually blameless. If you investigated their lives, there would be nothing that you could find. And yet they're doing this and they're living in a way that was based on a promise that there would be a Messiah that would come. They got up every day and lived their lives in anticipation of Christmas coming. That God was actually going to keep his promise. But it says they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And that's not so great. Being all good and blameless, like nobody's business. And yet, Elizabeth was barren. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, always a big deal. But this is especially a big deal in the context of this culture. Because in this culture, just is what it is. For Elizabeth to be barren, it was basically, the culture would view that as it was her fault. That something was wrong with her. That in some way she was either flawed or in some way she was living her life because children were seen as a blessing from God and the lack of children was seen as a curse from God. So for her to be barren yet living out her life in a righteous, blameless way was incredible. There was a religious stigma that went along with kids. They were being faithful. So the question we ask is, why does God seem to be so forgetful in their life? They were being so faithful, and yet where the story lies right now after 400 years, it seems like God is being forgetful. Like, oops, oh yeah, I forgot to take the trash out to the curb. That Messiah thing. And they were both well advanced in years. It's a way of saying they were old. Very old. I like that though. I'm going to go with that. I'm not old. I'm well advanced in years. It had to be too late. Elizabeth had lived out this shame and pain all the way into her old age. I'm sure people came up to her all the time and said, hey, it's not going to happen. It's a myth. It's not going to happen. God's forgotten you. And if we would have whispered that in their ears, we would have been wrong. Because the reason Luke begins his story with their story is to show that God is faithful, not forgetful. 
God is faithful, not forgetful. If you're sitting here today or you're watching today, you need to understand that where you feel like God is forgotten, he is still going to be faithful. Because this was the beginning of something brand new that would ultimately result not only a Messiah being born, but the fulfillment of that prophecy that God made to Abraham way back in the beginning in Genesis. So in verse 8, we read this. It says, Now once when Zechariah's division was on duty, okay, little side note, 20,000 priests, give or take, 20,000, okay? They would fill T-Mobile Arena and 23 different groups that they were divided up into, okay? They were all divided up, so there was a, a lot of priests. So once when Zechariah's specific division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by lot, okay? Basically think drawing straws or flipping a coin. And they believed, is what it is, they believed that God was actually in the, draw, the, the choosing of lots or the drawing of straws, that God would actually direct that so the, the correct person would then carry out these duties that was assigned to just one priest who would go in before God and would offer up this incense. It was a big deal because there was chance that you would serve your entire life as a priest and never be chosen. And so Zechariah is serving, and it says that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time... For the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So they're all outside. They're waiting for him. It's a sacred moment. It's an honor for him to go in. This is powerful stuff. And he's in there. And verse 11 says this. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. I love how the Bible's always casual about that. Like, oh, then an angel showed up. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and, I love this, gripped with fear. Now, don't lie. If an angel, like, boom, right over here to my right came in, you would be gripped, for, gripped with fear, right, in this room. Some of you, because of our life, would be more gripped for fear than others, right? We just read that Zechariah was blameless and righteous and all those things. If he was gripped for fear, I would be gripped with fear, that's usually the result when an angel sh shows up. But it says in verse 13, the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Easy for you to say. Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has, and I'm going to put this parenthetically here. It's not in the Bible, but it's okay. Um, has finally been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call his name John. Okay? Call his name John. And then it says this about John. It says in verse 14, he will be a joy. He will be a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, here's, here's the thing about John. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's, before he's born. So God is with him even before he's born. He's going to come into the world. Boom. Filled with what God wants to do in his life. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Okay, Because what did we learn earlier? Many of them had abandoned their faith because in their, from their perspective, God was not around or doing anything. So this guy, John, is going to bring them back, many of the people to Israel. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to do this. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for what? The Lord. Insert Messiah. Insert 
the promise. Insert, 400 years is a long time, but it's about to go down, right? And here's what's interesting. It's to turn the hearts of the parents to their children. In other words, a lot of the parents, their hearts had grown calloused. Think Christmas, mom and dad, right? And your kids are excited about it, and you're like, ugh, right? This is the kind of thing that John's arrival was going to do. He was going to turn those calloused hearts of the parents back to the faithful, hopeful, promise-filled hearts of their children, bringing them back. Now, let's give Zachariah a break, all right? Because he's hearing this, he's gripped with fear. The angel says, guess what? You're going to have a child. So here's how he responded. He had some questions. He said, Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? Right? I am an old man, think well advanced, and my wife is well along in years. Okay? In other words, he's saying, listen, in the tw- when we were in our 20s, we thought, yeah, it's just a little delay. And then we started praying, and then we got into our 30s, and we're praying a little harder. And then by the time we got in our 40s, she's still praying. I'm done praying. And when we're in our 50s, we're over it, like it's not going to happen. So you can show up here and grip me with fear, but I'm not really sure that this is going to be a reality. Because even though we've been faithful, we're not sure where God is in the midst of this. And so in verse 19, the angel answers his question and says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. It's good news. But then I have some bad news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. God had this On his calendar the entire time, yes. God had waited this long on purpose, yes. God had watched his people even abandon him. It looked hopeless. Had he quit paying attention? Had he actually not heard their prayers? Of course not. But it's so ironic. Over the next nine months, Zechariah would be silent. God had been silent for a long time. And now as he begins to speak, he mutes Zechariah a little bit. and says, you'll be silent. So why is John the Baptist part of the Christmas story? Why doesn't John the Baptist ever end up in the nativity scene? He never does. Never on anybody's front lawn. None of it. And it's such a crucial part, right? He plays such a role. He's out there in front. John's mission was to prepare people for Jesus' arrival. He wasn't just the warm-up act. God was just gearing up. This is God beginning to, to do what he had promised all along. And those who had remained faithful from generation to generation, they believed this would happen, even those that died without it even happening. They had passed this on to their children that a Messiah would come. The hope that, that God is a God who keeps his promises. The hope that God has not abandoned or forgotten or ignored us. This remnant remained even when God didn't fill in the blank quick enough. I'm waiting for God to. They still remained faithful. And here's how the story concludes, and you're probably familiar with this part of it. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel, same angel, Gabriel, to a place called Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named, heard of him? Joseph, descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. At Christmas, we see two worlds that just collide together, the natural and the supernatural. We live in the natural world, 
right? This Christmas, we think about the natural things, like we got to buy Christmas trees, hang Christmas lights, read Christmas cards, watch Hallmark movies endlessly. I seriously doubt over the next few weeks that any of us will run into any pregnant virgins or angels or shepherds will be out there watching their flocks by night. It's not going to happen. We live in the real world, right? Real pain, real struggles, real waiting. But at Christmas, these two worlds come together. God became man. The supernatural becomes natural. This is the hope of Christmas, that God simply loves us enough to send his son. And so John the Baptist, son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, who had waited so long and were faithful, and even when God didn't fill in the blank at their pace, God sent John the Baptist, the natural, to prepare people for Jesus, the supernatural. And this is our story. This is our story. And this is also, frankly, our dilemma as well. Because a lot of us, we're living in the waiting gap. Right? And we got to choose what our response will be. And I frankly think this is true. It's in the waiting where all the danger lies. I'm not great at waiting. Some of you are really patient. God bless you. Right? You're the one at the four-way stop over here that just keeps waving people through, and I'm like, go already. Gosh. Right? A few years ago, we were at Disneyland over the holidays, which is the most wonderful time of the year, right? You're in the happiest place on earth. We get in early. We're going to the California Adventure theme park because Cars Land had just opened, and we're going to get in line for the racers. And we get in line. We don't have no fast pass. We just get in line. Like, we're, gonna, we're troopers. We're going to wait it out. Right? It says an hour wait. We're waiting. It's our first ride of the day. It's our, we're at Disneyland. My kids have the hats on and all of that stuff. And I'm patient, some. But here's what happens. We get up to the very front after an hour, and we're literally like two loops from the front. Like we can see the blank getting filled in. We can see the promised land. We can see hope fulfilled. We can see the Savior right there in front of us getting, like there it is. And all of a sudden, you start to notice the employees, those Disneyland people, they start wandering around, and you're thinking, something's up, and, and they're pushing buttons, and people that you haven't seen in uniform colors you haven't seen start coming out. And you begin to notice that the, the racers are no longer racing, right? And then that voice, somewhere in Burbank that they recorded, comes over the, the loudspeaker and says, you know, the ride has malfunctioned, right? And I'm like, are you serious right now? And I don't mean like I said that in my head. Like, I said that out loud. Like, at this level, no microphone needed, right? And I'm like, what is happening? My kids are, like, dying. They're, like, acting like they're not with me. They're leaning against the rope. They're, like, 9 and 10, and they're more patient than I am. I'm like, what is happening here, all right? It's our first ride of the day. Our whole day at Disneyland is ruined because you guys can't get your act together, okay? Merry Christmas, right? Because it's in the waiting where all the danger lies, where all the danger lies. Waiting is the worst. It really is. But it's also has the potential, as you just heard, to bring out the worst in all of us. Okay? And some of us, we got to be really careful. Let me just right here say this. In the current culture that we live in, okay, let me just make this statement and you process this the way you need to. Okay? It is tempting to align yourself with other agendas because you are impatient with what God is doing. Because when I'm impatient, then I begin to look to other perspectives. 
I begin to look to other priorities. I begin to look where I can find power and position because I want to move the ball a little quicker. I want to step in and just fill in the gap for God. So I just want to say, again, process it. we got to be really careful as followers of Christ that we don't get in the way of what God's doing in our impatience. And we begin to align ourselves with strategies that are not God's. Because we need to know that our alliance and hope will be in God or else our impatience will drive our attention towards others' agenda. But in every generation, there is a remnant of believers, like Zachariah and Elizabeth, that where everybody else is doing their thing, they're a remnant that decides they will remain faithful despite the fact that they may not at the moment see God doing anything. And the good news is if that's your situation, there is nothing wrong with you. Welcome to the world of Caleb and Joshua. Welcome to the world of Daniel and the three Hebrew children. Welcome to the world of Esther and Ruth. Welcome to the world of prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel. And welcome to the world of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Sometimes we just wait. Sometimes we just do. And what they did is they they trusted what their hearts told them before their eyes even showed them. They trusted what their hearts told them before their eyes even showed them. And that's the story of Christmas. It's a reminder of that. It's a reminder that your faith in God, wherever you find yourself today, is not misplaced. The Apostle Paul wrote about this 50 or 60 years later, after Jesus was born, to a small gathering of individuals who were early followers in a small church called, in, in a city called Galatia. They face the same dilemma that we often do. They're kind of like, I don't know what we're doing. Are we... What's, what's happening? And so Paul kind of gave them his version of the Christmas story. We find it in Galatians chapter 4. He said this, when the right time came, you catch that? Not when our time came. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, Mary, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Well, that's awesome. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. And then catch this part. Now you are, read it with me, no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave. But God's own child, and since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Boom. Just like Gabriel, Paul understood that things happen in God's timing and in God's plan. The message of Christmas is simply this, that Paul just relayed to this church in Galatia, and that I'm relaying to you today, is that God sent his son so that you could become his child in his timing. And so wherever you are in your life today, whatever gap you may be facing, it's his timing. And I wish I could tell you it would move faster, and I wish it would tell you that it would all be accomplished in the way, and you would live happily ever after, but that's not true. And anybody who tells you it is, is selling you lies. Because God's timing is not our timing. God's agenda is not our agenda. We are called to simply be faithful and to trust with all of our hearts, even when our eyes don't show us those things as of yet. God sent his son so that you could become his child. I think the best way to describe this and helps us is a familiar Christmas carol written by a French poet that we sing this time of year. And the lines of the song capture this message so well, well, especially how we feel today in the spirit of the season. It's the song, O Holy Night. And there's a line of the song that says this. It says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. 
For hundreds and hundreds of years, the world was waiting. And this word pining is not a word that we normally use, though you can use it at lunch today when you're pining for your water to be refilled as you sit there. I'm really pining for that. All right, go ahead and use it. It means I'm longing, I'm waiting, I'm praying. That's what it means. And so long lay the world in sin and error, right? We're, we're not obeying God, but we are longing for him. And then it says this, till he appeared at the appointed time and the soul felt its worth. All that longing, all that waiting, soul felt its worth. God's arrival was a statement about how he feels about you and how much you are worth. That's it. That's why we wait. In the waiting, you're worth it. The waiting itself is worth it. You are worth Christmas. Bottom line. It came finally. It's a, it's a reminder that our waiting and our longing is not in vain, that our faith in God is not misplaced. That's why people like Eddie, we just heard his story. That's why God shifts the trajectory of lives. Because Eddie decided that if God felt he was worth that, then there was something of worthfulness that he should do in his life, of purpose. Plant a church in the neighborhood of his birth because he realized he was born for this. And the message of Christmas is simply this, is that God sent his son so you could become his child, and you are his child. So whether you, whatever season of waiting you find yourself in, live as a child of God. Let's pray. Father, this season is one in which we find ourselves sometimes longing and waiting and wondering. We ask right now, God, in this room, in the, in the, just as we are kind of folding into this time of year, God, that you would help us to just recenter our perspective. Help all of the, the glitz and the glamour and the chaos that this season can also bring to just be a side narrative to what you want to do. God, I pray throughout this room, I pray for those listening in their homes or driving in their car and hearing this right now, that they would sense you. God, whatever we may be waiting for, God, help us to know that ultimately you felt we were so worth it that you sent your son so that we could become your child. God, we rest in that confidence completely today. We ask it in your name. Amen.